The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. My first impulse is to have contempt for people I don't understand or perspectives I don't. It might, that's my first impulse, just like everyone else. So, but here's what I've learned to do. When I feel that, I pause, I change my contempt to curiosity. And people are genuinely taken back because they feel that, that contempt. But then you just make that little switch to being curious. Oh, tell me more. That, that is so different from the way I see it. But I'm curious how you came to your point of view. And you really mean it. You're not asking that question to get to say what you think next. Yeah. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest. We fight to find peace. Both head and the heart. Like a nephew and niece. What are we doing here? You mean listening to this show? Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healers. And the atheists pray? It's a wonderful chaos. And we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos. And we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos. Special day on a wonderful chaos. And we have for the second time Dr. Linda Ulrich. Yes, we got Dr. Linda Ulrich, and we're going to talk to her. This was supposed to be the talk that we had the first time, but I said, let's upgrade it to the conspiracy of goodness, which was chapter or episode 177. So we're going to talk to her today about the intelligence of slime molds. And where are we going to do that, Mr. Shaliff? On a wonderful chaos bomb. So, Andy, slime mold? Yes. Tell me. This subject, it was interesting. On face value, you think, why would I want to waste an hour of my life discussing this? And then there's something that I find radically uh, insightful around understanding the intelligence of these microorganisms. Because I, I believe that humans have a way of projecting all of this intelligence onto ourselves and believing that we're all empowered. And we're, since we have self-consciousness, we're conscious of ourselves yeah. that we therefore are then this incredible species that can, you know, uh, is far superior to everything else. Every living thing on the planet. Every living thing on the planet. So what I find fascinating is that when we like allow ourselves to say, how far is intelligence in things that we're not aware of, we'd see even problem-solving capabilities in things that we would want to call even animals or something as simple as slime mold, which we, since we don't see the eyes and the same things that we would see characteristic, a brain, a brain yeah. then, we, then we automatically relegate it in our arrogance, I would like to use that word, that they aren't as important or special or as unique or whatever the words are as we are. So, so when Linda said, hey, there's an incredible amount of intelligence in the world that we're so oblivious to, and, and it's problem-solving intelligence. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of octopuses when they'll f 
when their problem solved and they'll have like a, they'll put like a, a bottle and then there'll be something in the bottle and the octopus will unscrew the bottle to get what's inside. So it doesn't just look at the bottle and doesn't, it sees it's a problem that it then has to think through in order to figure out how it can get the, the what's inside of it. So those are the kind of um, things that are, I find hmm. um, from a, from a perspective of uh, a, a, someone living and, and reflecting and seeing themselves as not the only thing there, I guess. That's, yeah. the, that's the feeling. So we're not talking about mold. We're talking about slime mold. And In this case, she chose slime mold because slime mold it has a, a high degree of intelligence. I did just a quick search, didn't look into it too deeply, but an incredibly high degree of, of, of intelligence, including problem-solving intelligence. And then uh, and Linda, last time we spoke, said she loves this topic and that she'd love to come in and, and chat about it with us. I never discussed with her what I said before she came on, uh, by the way. So we'll have to see if what I said is anything that she can I also identify with. But yeah, that was my excitement in the subject. Nice. Yeah. Um, and we had a talk today that you actually don't bring shows on if you're not excited on them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so, and there might be a subject which seems random, but I've got deeper questions around it, and that gets me excited about a show because I, I think one thing that people often do is their curiosity gets limited to the idea of slime mold. And my curiosity is where is slime mold an example of something far greater that we're maybe not asking questions around. And that's why my curiosity feels like it starts with a very small item and then it goes further. Nice. nice. Yeah. So that was it. And she, let, let's also acknowledge uh, Linda has uh, done some great work. She's obviously have the, and since 2014, ever widening circles, which was a online platform, which just makes a great, uh, a, where good news is performed. The conspiracy of goodness is something she says. She's so, uh, I don't want to know if she say the word fed up, but I would use the word fed up, fed up with bad news. She said, I want a location. It's good news stories that are authentic and showing and highlighting the best of humanity. Yeah. So that was something that I always found really sweet about her. And she's also doing a lot of TEDx talks. So if you have the opportunity, I would check in to see Dr. Linda Odek and you'll find her TED Talks, which are always really beautiful as well. Nice. Yeah. Should we bring her on? When we initially were going to do the talk, we said it was slime mold. And me, without telling you, I switched it to the conspiracy of goodness. And then you said, Andy, you do what you got to do. Yeah. And so my, and we said, well, we'll come back to the subject. So what was it at that time and now, of course, still today that says this is a topic we're spending an hour on? Well, I think um, what slime mold reminds me about is the, the decisions we make and what we prioritize. Ah. Because we're giving value to things constantly in our mind at all times and devaluing things. Yeah. That could be critically important to our next step or, or the future for us all or whatever. So slime, we'd written recently, when I last, when I talked to you that time, we'd re recently written an article about the intelligence of slime mold and all the questions that once, once they started really studying slime mold, all the questions about what intelligence means. Yeah. And, and, and then of course that leads to worthiness. 
and then it, that to me demonstrates how can important you slow down, can you slow down what worthiness means what do you mean by that so well when we start asking ourselves about intelligence it leads to worthiness what does that mean in that context so for instance you know why should we care about slime mold mm-hmm. you know i mean unless you have done a bit of a deep dive um you're going to look for the practical value in things so and that's what we're doing too i from my perspective, too much in the world. In, um, curiosity is what got us to the moon before <laughs> before the computers in our that we hold in our cell phones were about a thousand times more um, more powerful than than what we use to get to the moon and back. Curiosity is what why we explore the depths of the ocean and the things that come off of that. We don't always have to have um, a, an immediate tomorrow. Uh, return on investment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what the journey with Everwidening Circles has taught us after curating the internet for eight years for really good, uh, good news going uncelebrated, like stuff that could be on the evening news, but all we hear about is the doom and gloom. Yeah. The, the big picture, the 100,000 foot look tells me and my team that the, the the only problems we have in this world still are the ones that haven't had enough imagination applied to them. Yeah. And you know, imagination about what's possible involves not judging, like just remaining open. Um, not not saying, oh, we tried that and it didn't work, or oh, that that slime mold has no meaning, or whatever. Um, now that we are considering building a tornado shelter after living somewhere for 40 years, what does that say about how often tornadoes are arriving on our back door? Yeah. We didn't think we needed them 20 years ago, but now we do. I, you know, I love the questions that yeah. things like slime mold <laughs> um, can help us ask ourselves. As you say, I, I mean, I look at a wonderful chaos, right? And we're often asked, why do you do this? And everyone's trying to figure it out. Like, what's the funnel? What's the money? What's the pro? Like, what, you know, and then we're looking at one another, like, how do we explain it to you? We do it from the purity of curiosity. Like, how do you explain that to somebody who doesn't see that that is a value in itself? Right. Right. I, you know, I just think it's, um, it's a matter of having been exposed um, or not to the way the, some of the best things that happen in the world are, are, are created by people who connected to things no one ever thought to connect. Yeah. Uh, you can name innovation after innovation after innovation. And it seems that when we wrote these two, these 2000 articles, and then we curated, you know, three times that many or five times that many to get only those 2000, we just kept learning over and over again that things weren't ever like we thought they were. And that, <laughs> that if we're using that criteria, if, if we're using what we know as a criteria for value or whether something's relevant to solve a problem, we're dead in the water right there. Yeah. Yeah. It should be all about what we don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I've learned that through, you know, tough times interpersonally, you know, I've learned to, instead of. Um, thinking about the bad intention of others because they don't think anything like me. I've learned to get curious about how they came to think like they do. Yeah. 
And which is this- great right now because the topic of vaccination is like polarizing everyone. And that mm-hmm. was kind of following up from the Trump era. So yeah. you get a lot of meaty subjects to mm-hmm. dig into around people who will not want to see or understand another point of view. Yes. And, you know, and that's just a decision we each make. And we come upon that notion of being open um, at different times in our lives. And sometimes, you know, I, I totally empathize with people who are not open to new ideas because maybe things are in such turmoil in their lives or maybe they feel so little sense of purpose and order and life is just unfolding randomly that they can't take any more chaos. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to know that they've been wrong for 40 years about something. Um, so I'm just hoping our better impulses uh, rise to the top on this. Let's, let's just pick on the vaccination topic. Because what got us to this stage, why we aren't living in caves like we did 40,000 years ago is curiosity, is a sense of trust and belief in each other. Even when we didn't think the other was right, you know, 40,000 years ago, we had to trust each other. Yeah. Because we were little bands of 15 to 30 people wandering around the planet. Not that many of us. Um, so I think those same things that got us here can, can get us out of this too. And, um, and you sound I, like a liberal. I am as centrist as you could possibly be. If you want to, if you want to talk politics, you sound like a conservative. <laughs> I am as central as you could be. <laughs> <laughs> I just love because what I, I did that, obviously, you know, me, Linda, in the meantime, um, what I notice is that as one speaks, they have a hard time listening to the intentions of a person because they'll already have a filter of what they think the person is actually getting to. So it was a bad, poor uh, a humor pointing at a sad thing I find in life yeah. is that as soon as the label comes out, I'm no longer listening to you anymore. And it happens so subtly and people are so unaware of it happening mm-hmm. that it's as if they're, they're, uh, the echo chamber that they live in is only being further um, polarized. And that's just a sad. So my humor was poking at something that's actually quite sad for me, actually. <laughs> Well, I'll address that comment with two things. First of all, <laughs> that's why we don't do any politics or religion on Everwhiting Circles. Not yeah. that I don't have my own ideas, not that I'm not spiritual or any of those things, but I'm all about keeping people's ears open. And I notice exactly the same thing that you just pointed out, mm. is that it's so easy for people to just, you know, the first little tweak, um, the first little notion that you might be re- religious and uh, and I'm not or you might be liberal and I'm not, or all Mm. these, all these labels are really damaging our ability to, to learn more and and have these moments where you go, I had no idea. (laughs) I just love those moments where you have, where you go, I had no idea. I was so wrong for 20 years. (laughs) It it just creates a lot of separation when people live from that point of view that they need to put you in a box and all of a sudden they know everything about you. You're, you're irresponsible, you're this, mm-hmm. you're that. And it, it, by pointing the finger, in fact, it, it, it's like you make the person bad and it justifies why you treat them a certain way. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, we see it with gender, especially nowadays, mm-hmm. because in the whole evolution of our understanding of how we look at gender and sexuality in this, this mm-hmm. period, it's hysterical because 
in a way, what we're doing is we're allowing it to be seen as it is for the person. We're saying, how is it for you? And they get to decide, hey, well, this is how it is. And it doesn't connect to how society has labeled things. So now, instead of it just being us saying, hey, curious to see how you, how do you experience your sexuality and being curious, full of wonder, it then becomes you are not fulfilling the labels of which society has created. And then it's like, oh, and it's just, it's fascinating. Yes. Well, you know, if I could, I'm going to drop in some little practical tips through this conversation. I don't, I'm, I know that you guys, you know, aren't a how to podcast, but here's a practical tip I've learned just for myself. And it may not work for everybody, but for me, uh, because I'm fiery. <laughs> I, I come from people who are super fiery. And so I want to, to have contempt for everybody that doesn't think like me, just like anybody else. I want to do that. <laughs> Can you say that again? I just want to see your face when you say that. I know. I, I want to have contempt for everybody I don't agree with. Linda I mean, said that. That could be I, a quote we're going to put in. Like when, when Linda dies and you and I look at each other, we're like, what are we going to carry in our little box? Okay. <laughs> Maybe, okay. Let me word that better. Can we cut that out? My impulse, my first impulse yeah. is to have contempt for people I don't understand or perspectives yeah. I don't. It my, That's my first impulse, just like everyone else. Because yeah. just like everyone else, I'm looking for things. I'm scanning scanning, scanning constantly for things that can help me survive and thrive. Mm. So this is the thing. So, so if we can all just own it, own it, we have contempt and we just do, no matter how nice we are, I can guarantee you that mother Teresa in the darkness of the night sometimes felt contempt for the people that were keeping the people down who she was trying to save. Right. Contempt is not, is not some character flaw. It's what we feel. And so, but here's what I've learned to do. Whenever I feel that, I, I feel that, that thing. It, for me, it's when my ears get hot. I don't know. You'll, you'll have to know when, you're, when this stuff is triggered for yourself. But when I feel that, I pause. The, the second TED Talk. <laughs> and I learned as I wrote that one. Um, I pause and, I, and I, I change my contempt to curiosity. That gets you through it every single time and people are genuinely taken back because they feel that that contempt like if you're talking to someone and they go and you know whatever they know they're getting your goat and but then you just make that little switch to being curious oh tell me more that that is so different from the way i see it but i'm curious how you came to your point of view and you really mean it you're not asking that question to get to say what you think next (laughs) that is a problem is that most of us, when we do ask a question that could fit in that box, like we're truly curious, we aren't truly curious. We just are wait. We're just waiting for an opening when they stop talking yeah. to tell them our opinion. Yeah, the transactional conversation. I'm only listening to you so I can speak afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So I just make myself like. I'll give you an example. Last uh, last fall, I was driving down our little main street in this town in Vermont, and there was this kid sitting in a lawn chair at our busiest intersection, and he had a giant poster that says "COVID is a hoax." <laughs> <laughs> busiest intersection. People are honking. People are waving. People are giving them finger. You know, it was one yeah. thing after another. <laughs> Wow, he's brave. Yeah, and, brave kid. Let's get him on the show. Okay. So I, I've had patients who've died mm. I think, from COVID. It, 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 try and tell their families it's a 
<laughs> yeah. My sister has has a very rare, um, very fast growing kind of breast cancer, and she had to put her her treatments out by about three weeks, which needed to start on a given day because mm. she and her husband got COVID. <clears throat> so it's not a it, for them for none of these people was it a hoax, but instead of having contempt. Um, what I did was I pulled over and I, I do this often. <laughs> uh, I keep a chair in my car. So I go walking up to him and I popped down the chair about six feet away and I was upwind. So we were social distancing and all that. If people are worried about that part of the equation. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so curious about what brought you to this day and doing this. I would love to hear your story. Mm. And, and that's it. And he kept, he, he, at first he was really resistant. Why, what, what's the matter with you? Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I was like really curious how a young man looked about 20 could be sitting on this street corner on this day with that poster. And I sat with him for an hour <clears throat> and I understood exactly why he was sitting there with that poster by the end. And, you know, it's kind of like that whole thing. Well, it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation of somebody's behavior. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I think that everybody's on their own journey and I don't know, yeah. we, we got to stop hurting each other when we're on our own journey. Well, you've got me curious. Why was he there? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> he was very, very, he, he, it sounded like, um, he didn't have a supportive household that he grew up in. It, it, it didn't sound like there was a lot of guidance there about how to look at the world. And I, I don't even get me started on <laughs> on letting our kids be raised on the perspectives of the internet. And because yeah. that could be a whole nother show that we need to have a chat about. But um, it, it, he, he didn't come from people who really helped him manage the meaning of the world. And he was getting all his meaning from a very narrow path on the, in, on the internet mm. that was all about um, like, I don't know much about it. Cause I, I don't see this on the internet. I, really am careful about my algorithms but apparently there's there's i you can probably name it um there's some organization there's some group or movement where somebody thinks there's 12 people in the world that have so much power that they're just playing us all like marionettes of course what do you mean that they, come on linda what what planet are you living on it's called the kabul the yes. kabul of yes. course they're all there all 12 of them yeah you know and and they've never died they're always 12 yeah. And they're, they're like the disciples. Yes. Well, this young man, um, this was his truth. Yeah. And everything about it was his truth. And, um, and he was not curious about me, and I did not tell him what I thought. <laughs> Just so you know, as hard as it was, I stayed curious and not contemptible. But, you know, he was a beautiful person inside, hurt in some ways, I could tell, and we all are. I, yeah. I, I'm beginning to think 80% of us have had childhood trauma that left us carrying a burden, some of it us carry it better than others. I have, my husband has, you know, so anyway, who knows where that, that, that whole, the origin of all this comes from, but you know, he was very, he was very gentle um, in the end and very, he really came through. And when he found, he discovered that all I was, was curious. Then yeah. he just, the floodgates just opened up and he was a very nice person. Yeah, who I'm, sure I don't was, I'm sure he was actually just longing for what everyone else is, this connection and to feel seen. Yeah. And I and I definitely think you're absolutely spot on in that. Don't we all want to just feel seen and heard? Yeah, yeah. me too. Me, me personally. I just kept saying, mm. you know, hey, this is me on Sundays. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, 
How does this all work its way back to slime mold? All right. <laughs> well, I had to go refresh myself. And I have quite the notes on slime mold. I was going to say, where does someone find a white piece of paper, like, or sorry, yellow piece of paper that has? It looks very clinical. What you've what you've shown us. Well. <laughs> As you can probably tell, I can get off on tangents. <laughs> and and so I always make myself thoughtfully come into interviews like this. I do at least an hour worth of homework before every interview I do. And when I talk to others for my podcast, I do at least an hour's worth of homework. It, it absolutely makes me a little bit crazy. <laughs> the number of people who will interview me and they don't even know what I've done or why they're talking to me. Oh, wow. It, I just, I just think the world's, we got to slow down <laughs> and we have to stop going through the motions. If what we do matters, then we have to treat it like it matters. Yeah. We do and a my, show, we do a show a day, as you know, oh, every yeah. day of COVID we're at 256 right now. We've had like and, three, four months holiday. Yeah. We took some holiday in between, but the funny thing is, is the one thing that is that now we'll always talk to Bambos is that we have to have a curiosity around the subject because mm-hmm. the subject itself isn't going to be interesting enough for the hour. So if there's yeah. not any curiosity, then we don't do a show. Right. Yeah. So it's well, interesting because that's the one that's thing you've pointed out that I say if that doesn't exist. We don't do it. Even if it is a good show, potentially, it just isn't, it isn't the format that I want to, you know, in my own life. Well, that gets back to something I'd like to at least touch on before we finish today, because I'm really thinking a lot about purpose. Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic has given us all time to pause and think about what the purpose of doing a podcast is or what the purpose of making dinner every night and getting on the table by six o'clock or what the purpose of taking our next vacation is, you know, I think that there is a real craving. This, this has, you know, these, these times we question our purpose and the meaning of our lives usually happens in big transitions, graduation, you know, yeah. having your first child, new job. Losing a job, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think the pandemic has sort of forced a transition for yeah. 100% of the human beings on the planet. And in fact, well, the last show we're doing before we're taking uh, before we're taking our, our big hiatus is 2020 sucked and I changed everything afterwards. That's the title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. And the reason why we change everything, why we decide to change everything is because we either had no purpose before. We may have had goals, mm-hmm. but goals without purpose is a crazy life. It's you get in that. I'll be happy when yeah. loop. Right. So purpose gives us a reason to know whether to invest in that in that vacation or that time spent, you know, revamp the website or whatever. If you if you've got a purpose and I, I think that's what you're driving at with your, your podcast, if, if if your purpose is curiosity, you know, that's part of the purpose of, of me starting Everwinding Circles was that I was just a genuinely curious person and I knew <laughs> that the world was still an amazing place. And my purpose became to prove that it was still an amazing world with that project to change the negative dialogue about our times. And that's how I guarded my time. If it served that purpose, then I'd spend time doing it. If it didn't, it didn't make my radar screen. Yeah. Mm. So so you want (laughs) all right. So let's talk about the purpose of slime mold. First, let me just give people a little orientation on slime mold. Now, there's we're not going into slime mold. We're going into how slime the purpose of this 
<laughs> of this next little section um, is to just uh, bring our awareness up about um, the questions that we can ask ourselves uh, from things like slime mold. So um, when I was doing my uh, research on the slime mold for you, um, if anybody wants to dive deeper, <laughs> the real expert, the world expert on slime mold is a, a Dr. Audrey Dusatour. She's at Paul Sabatier University. I'm assuming she's French. I'm assuming it's in France. Yeah. Um, but she has some really good, there's some really good YouTube videos about slime mold that are fun. They're very fun. But here's the big points that we need to just know about slime mold before we ask ourselves bigger questions that matter in our lives. Is that um, slime molds are not a plant, they're not an animal, and they're not a fungus. They're one giant cell, and they can be 10 feet across. One giant cell. And here's the crazy part. They can make decisions. They can learn. They can remember and they can solve mazes. They can solve problems. Um, now this really calls into question what we, what we deem as intelligent. They, a, a slime mold, there's a certain slime mold that can even, like if a maze can be solved two ways, it, can, it has a way of solving the maze both ways and then remembering which is the shortcut to get to the food. And then from that on, if you cut the slime mold and then, then add, give that maze to a portion of the original slime mold, it will solve the maze with the shortest route to the food. Now, <clears throat> I would have thought before I knew anything about slime molds that remembering, solving problems, decision-making, whether to go this way or that, um, slime mold can decide to cut itself in half and then later decide to put itself back together. And these are all things that that we would consider, I would consider a pretty high level of intelligence. Yeah. So the subject of, of, of this talks to me about what is our mind, because we think our mind is made up. We think our mind does the thinking for us. Um, but, you know, they're, they're finding out that our gut has a connection to decision making and all these other aspects of our physiology have a have a aspect a role in our decision making and <laughs> the part that i think could, is fun to pontificate about and then even look at how we're leading our lives or like i, I said what are we prioritizing or as, as a society is the judgment we make so once we find out that a one-celled animal 10 feet across can solve a maze what does that challenge us to be able to do you know, what, what can we, what can we do better at? What can we pause and be more thoughtful about? How can we just be more curious or more imaginative about solving the problems that we have together? So some of the questions that, um, that this whole topic reminded me of is, you know, thinking like the other slime molds, um, so the scientist, the scientist I remember, she found her purpose. It was by accident. So we're going to bounce back and forth because this whole story makes me think of about finding our purpose. She was, um, she was a scientist um, uh, studying various different things. And she just wanted to do one experiment on slime molds just to test some theory she had. And she's ended up devoting her whole life to it. And this is the way finding our purpose can be. It, you know, um, I've been doing a little research on purpose and it turns out that you can't find your purpose. You know how sometimes you get in life and you go, oh, I just have to find my purpose. Yeah. It turns out that the research shows you can't 
find your purpose, sort of it finds you. And um, there's three ways um, that a particular researcher that I keep track of, um, Steve Corey is his name, he's at Cornell. Um, <laughs> there's three ways. One is that you just dive after your purpose. You just dive in and you just keep doing more and more and more because you love it, because you can't not do it. And then one day, whether it's the seven string banjo or, or writing articles about goodness in the world, no matter what, you, you can't stop doing it. And then one day you say, hey, I'm pretty deep into this. I've got an expertise and I do it whether I got paid to do it or not. Uh, that's must be my calling. And so that's what happened to the scientist is that, um, mm -hmm. that she, <laughs> she discovered her purpose by just asking one question, having one scientific experiment that she ran. So I look at all of our lives and say, after the pandemic, a lot of us are questioning the, you know, the meaning, of our lives and, and our purpose. Now, what's, what's one question, one new question we could, we could ask ourselves that might lead us towards that. So that's the first way you can, um, you can discover your purpose is to do, to do a lot of deeper and deeper research was what happened to the scientists. Um, the second way to discover your purpose is quite serendipitous. It's usually one of these big events you get drawn into. And then you, you, you find yourself very useful or helpful and you find that it makes your heart sore to be in that role. That's mm. what happened to me. I was a dentist for 25 years and loved people and loved what they taught me. <laughs> and then one day I got a really sad email from a patient I'd known since he was a toddler about how hopeless he thought the world was. Mm. And I went on this great search of the internet to be able to send him a, a connection to goodness and good news. And I, when I couldn't find one, I just snapped one day. And I said, mm. that's it. I'm going to write articles every day to prove it's still an amazing world. Mm. So I'm in that second category. And the third category to discover your purpose is um, knowing being around somebody like you guys <laughs> who have a purpose and you just constantly, you know, did you ever think that that's why people may return to your podcast is because they see you guys living with purpose. They see that this curiosity thing um, brings them to another level, another level, because that's what the third way is, is to watch somebody else who's living their purpose. And you just see it more and more often. And then one day you have your aha moment because of the sort of um, uh, passive uh, mentoring that that person did. I think that's why some podcasters are so powerful is because they are somebody, uh, we don't want to name names, but there's a few really big ones. <laughs> and you know, they, they look so passionate about what they do. You guys look passionate about what you're doing. Um, that's attractive. That's the third way people find their, their own calling is to watch others who are in it, deep in it. And um, I, I, I was thinking about when you spoke, I, I, I was jotting some notes down about when I was in the rat race of, of making a lot of money and doing little work and feeling totally unhappy, right? The, the, the business portion of my life. Um, I remember the two or three years I looked in the mirror, I said, who the hell are you? I don't like you. I don't really want to be doing what I'm doing, but I didn't have an alternative. And then I was looking, maybe I find another job. I'll look for another job. You know, that was like the first two years. And then I'm like, yeah, but if I go to another job, they probably won't pay me as well. I'm going to have to build up my credibility. Like, so it was like this narrative. Of, overthinking. Yeah. Overthinking the whole process. Mm -hmm. And then, um, 
and then it was like in meeting my mentor who came into my life. And, and then it was, and I, I always call them cinematic moments. Cause it's like, when is the moment when you're like, if I was going to be making a movie, this is a scene in that movie where it'd be like, wow, you made a really massive decision that changed everything the rest of your life. And it's uh, kind of what I would aspire to be, not what I am, but what I aspire to be. And that then, so it was very much, uh, uh, the feeling of, and I sold everything I owned and lived in a very meager life, but I was totally happy and everyone around me thought I was insane. So it was really funny to be in the happiest I'd been like childhood joy, happiness, not, not Disneyland for a day happiness, but like an undercurrent of the world is good and I'm at peace and everyone around me thinking he's lost his brain because what the hell he had it so good before. Um, and, and I mm. added to that, was the funny thing was that I was the, so I was the director of a company and now I became second to another person. And I was so in, in just passionate about what he was creating and trying to create. And we failed so badly. And it was like the worst like effort, but the joy of doing it gave my life such meaning. It didn't matter. It just did not matter. And Ronnie, my wife, kind of just finally said, I don't mind that you do what you do, but please acknowledge it's a nonprofit because you guys have no intention of making money. Like that was the that was the the voice of reason in the background. Oh, I know she that said, you, you need to move out of this one room department. Yeah. Attic. Yeah. So and, and, and then I would I also love what you said. And I see it in our relationship between Bambus and myself is that I don't even feel like I was the best student in the world, but I spent my time around an individual who was so disciplined and consistent that it was like a vibration. And around him, I could connect to that vibration. And then in time, it started to resonate with how I was in that resonation and how it was to live that way of being in the world. And that was it. Drop the mic, Andy. Huh. Beautiful. So that that was very much uh, my journey. So I could relate a lot, obviously, with what you had said. And and Bambos and I discussed it because there's this one moment which is kind of sad is that Bambos has read the my books like 30 times. No exaggeration. Like like like. And so he reads the books. And and when and when people and when we talk it on the show, people don't get it. And it's a little bit sad for me because I think, oh, He's idolizing Andy, but what they're not getting is he, he's trying to focus in on something that is like, it's like, I got it, but I don't get it. I got it, but I don't get it. And there's something there that when I'm connected to it, I see life feels so much better and more effortless. And when I'm not connected, it all feels like such a struggle. Yes. So, so that, that's a, yeah. I'm, this that's the best um, representational story of that third category that anybody's ever told me. Yeah. Um, it's not the way it happened to me, um, but I, I really needed a really good story of how that works. And you just said it. It's like, um, and now you made me think of a really good analogy with what you just said about how you couldn't really put your finger on it, what it was, but you just knew that when you were in sync with that, that purposeful energy, it made you feel good. And then you just, largely just absorbed it and absorbed it and absorbed it until it was, you can make it your own. Yeah. This is like my, my husband had a wonderful aunt Anna who would make these incredible rolls every Sunday morning. She lived till she was way into her nineties and she was still making rolls. In fact, when she died, they just found her at the kitchen table. 
And um, we, we try, everybody's in the, the whole family has tried to make these Aunt Anna rolls on Saturday mornings and they were horrible failures. <laughs> No, oops, sorry. <laughs> a few of my sisters. <laughs> we'll edit that one out. Okay. Everyone, you're all good cooks. It's just some of us are better cooks than others. <laughs> my temp- I, I had all the hubris. I thought, now I can do this. And I, mine was even worse. So, But what's it's like that. If anybody's ever watched a little old lady make bread for the thousandth or maybe two thousandth time, mm. you can follow the exact same written recipe and not get anything like what she produces mm. and there's something more than just the 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 hard practical ingredients there's what she brings to it there's how long she's willing to knead that dough how how carefully she does there's some there's some magic there not to be spooky but but that's that mentoring way of um of winding up with your purpose is a lovely thing and it's lovely to be on the i'm sure this is why i love to tell people to <laughs> Let their teachers know if you have a teacher in your life that you always tell about that, you know, she changed your life just because she complimented you when no one else was or when she encouraged something that you had a little she saw a little spark. I tell people to let me sure that um, time doesn't pass um, without you telling your mentors who they who they are and what they meant to you. That's I, I in my dental practice, I make a practice if I know someone's going to pass, maybe they have a terminal illness. I always write them a letter kind of at some point in that process and tell them, like I mentioned at the beginning, what I'm going to remember about them and take with me. Because I think that sharing is part of connecting us all to some common thread of humanity that we that's getting pretty disconnected and threadbare, given what's going on on the Internet and the news. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> so back to slime mode. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what we could do for a long time with slime mode. It just makes you ask different questions. Um, thinking like the other is something that the scientist kept saying over and over again. If you look at some videos of hers, she would run experiments that didn't turn out that were a flop. And then she would try and think like the slime mold. <laughs> And then she could get to some insight. It was what she needed to do to get to some insight. And I think we're not doing enough of that either. We're not trying, we're not curious enough about others to even begin to think like them, but we're surely not following a pretty old adage which is, you know, try and walk in somebody else's shoes. Uh, Are we talking Mm. about empathy here, Linda? Mm. I, I, I don't know if it's empathy. Uh, so sorry, because there's something you said that just hit me like, oh, like I had a real visceral reaction mm-hmm. was that it gets to the I w- how to know what I don't know. And when you said I have to think like a slime mold, then right. it's not even empathy. It's like I have to think not like something I know. I have to think outside of what I think <clears throat> I know. Empathy would still imply that there was this person that I can identify with mm-hmm. who I could connect back to. I'm guessing. Mm. Where, where, where it's almost how do I go beyond my preconceived ideas of what I know even, which is pretty, it's, a, it's another level of this surrendering, because then we'd have to acknowledge that we don't know everything. And that's not an easy thing to do. This is, you know, what if we made it safe to say, I don't know. What if we made it safe for our leaders to say, I don't know. What if we may, but I know how to, you know, I know how to find out or I know who to ask or, you know, I, I'm okay 
<clears throat> with I love actually people who are who are brave enough, courage enough to say I don't know, because I sort of feel like sometimes and I bet you do this too. I, I have kind of, I think we all have BS antennas. Like this whole fake it till you make it thing does not exist. <laughs> yeah. We are hardwired 40,000 years ago to see some new person about 200 yards away on a hillside that's not in our little band of people and try and discern their intentions. Yeah. And we had to do it right then from 400 yards. And our brains are hardwired to pick up on all these body language and all that. And so I, I really think that um, that one of our problems is that we can't say we're wrong. We can't say we don't know. And, yeah. and I think that's the first part that we can do to start coming together is everybody acknowledges what they don't know. And then we can pull, we can pull that void. And, and I would be willing to bet that there's not many problems in the world that we can't solve once we decide that somebody else might have the answer that we don't. Yeah. Yeah, I've said like when I'm brought into a job and people will ask me, well, what makes that you're the person for this job? Then I noticed immediately if I try to do a resume or defend anything, mm -hmm. I'm not interested in that job anymore because all of a sudden I have to defend myself. And that's not the energy I'm ever going to feel good in that role. So I'll often say, you know, you hire me for my mistakes mm -hmm. and, 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 and I know really well what doesn't work. Right. Like I can tell you very clearly what I've done, why it doesn't work. And what does work is mm. so different every single time for me to tell you what it's going to be would be arrogant because I don't know enough to tell mm -hmm. you that. But I know everyone else that interviews you will tell you that. And one of them will even convince you they know. And then you'll be resentful of them six months from now when they fail. <laughs> and think of all the opportunity missed with this system that we have, yeah, right? Um, we wrote an article not that long ago, if people want to look it up. Um, did you hear that Ernst & Young, I think it's one of the largest accounting firms in the world, mm. has decided to actively recruit people with uh, autism and Asperger's? Because, uh, of course, um, they've discovered um, something that, that um, that's a notion that's been around for a long time. I, I wrote an article called every brain is beautiful about the aspects of autism that can be super helpful in society. Gosh, it got to be six years ago. Yeah. So, um, so Ernst and Young figured out that there are certain minds and now we're talking about neurodiversity, just like gender diversity and, and yeah. all and racial diversity and all that. Now we're talking about neurodiversity and they actually use, if you look up, there's many, many articles about this. Um, that they decided that where they were cutting themselves at the off at the knees was that their interview process left anybody on the spectrum completely out. Of course. Because they were only hiring people who could like be a, had, had social be a skills. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Social skills are like 80% <laughs> of your job is can you get along with others? And if yeah. you show none of that capacity, it's like you're not even getting into the second interview. But in that particular field, 80% of your job is focus. Yeah. Is being able to focus relentlessly on numbers. And that turns out to be a really good brain skill for some people on the spectrum. So there's a good example of, you know, how often we are the authors of our own demise. Yeah. <laughs> because of a lack of openness, a lack of questioning, a lack of, like you just said, not acknowledging what we don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the so, diversity and inclusion 
you know, um, it is so it's such a hot topic. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about it is that it confronts society with every assumption it's made about how things work. And and it's so confronting that it often ends in defensiveness as well, which is the sad. It's like this incredible opportunity to rise up a level of consciousness. And and fortunately, us as a society, we haven't figured out how to bring it forward. So the individual that's being confronted can actually have an opportunity to grow. It, tr- right. it turns into blame. Yeah, which is uh, so quick. So quick. So quick. You know, one of the things that I really love that I've come upon in, in interviewing people for my, my own podcast is that <clears throat> there's this great way to, to get over that if we can embrace friction. Yeah. I'm constantly talking to my team at Airwinding Circles about, you know, we're, we're going to um, do something really cool. We're going to bring, you know, I, I have about six platforms now, all in different genres, and we can't manage this anymore. <laughs> so we're going to bring them all under one thing on December 1st. <laughs> that's that's going to be really, really cool. So we're going through a lot of ideation. Okay. Yeah. A lot of friction with nice people. And, and people want to avoid friction. And I'm saying, yeah. no. We've got to embrace. <laughs> Lean creative. into it, baby. Lean yes. into it. We've got to embrace creative friction. Now we all have to do it with this gun. Yeah. I mean, we we have to. Um, we have to say we have we can fight hard for our point of view and then give it, and then we can uh, springboard off something somebody else said and not make it about our own egos. And yeah. There's so much to be done in the way of embracing a little friction and not being so darn sensitive and, you know, and protective of our ideas or everything we thought last week. I don't know about you, but almost every day I say it's, I'm famous on the door of my office. There this big sign says this changes everything Mm. because I'm constantly, I've learned ever widening circles has taught me that I'm so wrong (laughs) on almost everything. I think there's, somebody out there that can improve my way of thinking. And if we can get that, that to come out of this pandemic, that we were, we were all wrong about yeah. a lot of things, like a lot of our priorities and a lot of the ways that we were spending our time or the way we were treating others. And that together, it's not just a colloquialism together. Mm-hmm. We will each bring a little piece of the puzzle that only we have. Yeah. And we can build a new future. You're more hopeful than I am. I'm, uh, I'm just, um, I'm just biting my lips saying, okay, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Let me just be present with my own emotions and make sure that I take care of, uh, my interactions and myself, you know? But, well, yeah. the only thing I would counter that with is, is that, um, sometimes we need others who've had just a different view of reality. Cause that's what we've got now. Andy yeah. is we have 7.6 billion versions of reality. Yeah. The, the internet and the way the algorithms work, algorithms work, you and I have, don't have the same rea- sense of reality, and let alone the guy that showed up on September 6th at the Capitol yeah. in the United States. Um, each one of us, because our, our unique view of the, of the world is so now um, primed by what we see on the internet, and mm. each one of those experiences is so unique. Okay. So I say it is what it is. And by the way, I also want to address that. And, and I want to acknowledge that it's true because the individuals I've brought into my life who I've interacted with in kind of the more uh, 
the more morbid, futuristic, have, have very smart individuals, not ones that are dictated by media, but ones that are thoughtful around what a future would look like. Mm -hmm. They brought forward to me what they perceived that future would look like, which was uh, which still had the doom and gloom of what I had, but it still had how the world would need to sort itself out in another configuration than what it was today. So in that way, what you say is totally true. And I've even seen it occur is that I maybe took it further in my own head mm -hmm. than what another individual who was even more thoughtful than I was towards it brought to me. Mm -hmm. So that is that is true. It didn't yeah. necessarily people wouldn't be happy with the version he gave either. But it opened my head and mind up to uh, what a future might look like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and we've done this over and over again. That's at the heart of the conspiracy of goodness that we talked about last time is that my perspective is, is that a, a conspiracy of goodness has saved our rear ends over and over throughout human history. Yeah. You know, imagine what was like during World War II when in London at night. You had to just take your little children. You know, I got goosebumps just thinking about it and dive down. You had to take your blankets for the night. You're going to sleep with 300 strangers in the subway and then walk out with your little children and walk back to your apartment down some street, turn the corner and maybe your building wasn't, wasn't even standing. Yeah. And yet people made life work out of that. They helped each other. They they rose above. We found crazy ways to thwart those attacks. And um, and people were ingenious together. Yeah. We and we could give thousands of examples sure. in history of the same thing. Some I will acknowledge <laughs> that human beings seem to need their back to the wall. Yes. They need their back to the wall before they come together. That's the yes. that's the that's the paradox is that why do we have why does it have to be so why? bad before why? we figure out that we need one another to get through this? That's the you know, and yes. and uh, and how how bad does it have to get? That's that's the real question. How, how bad, bad does it have to get? I know, I know. Yeah. But you know, in in all those stories of hope and resilience that have gotten us to this day, um, you know, uh, one of the most incredible uh, PBS series I've ever watched is the is the um, this is a series about women's suffrage. <laughs> My husband and I watched that. I, it's like four nights it was unbelievable to think of what what where women were yeah. um not that long ago like just 110 years ago and what they had to go through to change that now come on we human beings have had some horrific practices and ways of thinking about how the world works and we've turned it around yeah so i'm uh, so i i i don't know i i'm not i i know about the problems of the world it's not that i'm road closed glasses but i'm choosing to look at all the times we've saved ourselves yeah and i really think that mm -hmm. I, and this is another thing i just wanted to brush i know we're getting long here but we mentioned gender a few times i mean not gender but uh, uh diversity a few times and i want i think it's the time and i'll leave people thinking about this um if you're if you're needing to wrap up i don't hear a lot of people talking about age diversity because what we've just been through or what corporations go through or whatever, mm. um, I recently interviewed on my podcast, Chip Conley. Have you ever heard of Chip Conley? Of course I know Chip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's got the whole thing in, in uh, Mexico where he has yeah. the, people yeah. that have re the wealthy people that have retired in Silicon Valley when they're trying to rediscover themselves. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, you know, Chip was, um, was the wise elder in the group that the founders of Airbnb hired. Yeah. Now he was 43. 
and he was the wise elder because they were 27. But they needed someone who had been through the trenches and knew how to get from A to Z without just a ton of costly trial and error. Yeah. So he brought a perspective that they could never have, no matter how smart they were, they needed just somebody with years. Yep to come to the table. And I think this is a, this, this may be what saves us um, in the end as our back gets closer and closer to the wall is that we've got this whole generation, the Gen Zers who are digital natives. They're the first digital natives and they can run circles around any, but any bad actor <laughs> that's older. And there, there's no bad actor. This, and there could, there are some very funny examples of how they've already done that, yeah. which are too political for me to mention right now. But I believe that the Gen Z, if you go back through history, that this is this is repeated archetype of generations. They want to be net contributors and they have the biggest stake in our future because they're going to be there on the longest. Yeah. And so I really think that if we can harness the the energy like we all have when we're 16 to 25 and the wisdom that we have after we've been around the block uh, quite a few times, um, we will come up with a future, a version of the future that you and I and, and Memos can't even imagine. Yeah. If we talked another five years from now, I'm pretty sure it'll be well in action. Yeah. And so I, I'm encouraging people not to just to sink everything they've got into all the diversities without remembering to look for the, the wise elders. The insight that comes with age. I was ta- I was looking I was talking with Ronnie because we do our walks through this. As I laughingly say, I don't say it anymore because it's not really true. But when we started uh, COVID, Ronnie would take me out for my walk. You know, I was like, I need to get him out of the house. Um, and <laughs> but but on the walk yesterday, I was saying to her, it's fascinating for me because I was living through the burst of these. Uh, these bubbles that were created, like the IT bubble. I was in an IT, I was IT director at the time. So I lived the pushing up of a share of the momentum of this mindset. It's never going to go down. There's no way there's. And so I, 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 and then I thought to myself, I was just doing the math of how old would somebody who's really into cryptos be compared to how old I was at that time when I learned the lesson of, bubble economies and right. i realized oh they, they they were like eight years old so this eight-year-old hadn't lived the global perception that this nothing could happen this is the future don't even think about it and then the mm-hmm. next thing they know of course the bubble burst and so when you've lived through three or four of those you actually become more conscious that oh this is another one of those moments that you remember from your past that they have never experienced yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what the Gen Zers are doing. Don't forget, they they live through the repercussions of 9/11. They live through the horrifying downturn of 2008. Yeah. They've lived through, you know, the the advent of talking about beheadings on the news in 2013. Yeah. I can tell you exactly when that started. They've lived through then everything the world has gone through um, with the beginnings of real notions about climate change, you know, whole islands and people and culture sinking the this generation um has they have a sense of what's possible if they do nothing yeah (laughs) and you know it's 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 a human nature as you get older to um to prioritize different maybe that's what i i want to leave people with as you know, I'm prioritizing differently. I've got a villa in Spain in the mountains, which is basically as off grid as I can get. 
and I will have hard time getting to the internet, have a journey into the city that doesn't have a, a proper supermarket. Possibly, I don't even know yet, and uh, and I don't know who I'm going to be there. And there's an aspect of wow, what does that look like in that world where things that I don't yet know of myself, and that that's that's another uh, another uh, moment of discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if you're clear about your purpose and then every setback or every advance, you really manage the meaning of it, you're going to have another delightful journey. Exactly. Yeah. And I've often embraced the this could be the worst. And I would and I say jokingly, but it's true. This could be the worst decision I ever made. But that isn't really true because I never look in the world in that, those terms. But right. I say it just because it's easiest to say is that who knows what's going to come out of this? Because if I overly play how great it is, then I have to now live to an expectation. And uh, so I'll figure it out when I get there. But I do have to Mm -hmm. say I am excited because if I wasn't, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, Yeah, well, expectations, you know, I I always say the secret to happiness is low expectations. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's better to keep that horizon steady even when you're when the boat is going like this. Just keep your yeah. eye on the horizon. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting. Thank you. you know, um, I'm going to leave people with one more thought of hope and uh, just a little homework. Um, I'm looking around us and seeing this podcast and uh, other businesses in my community, businesses in the world, starting to pay attention to uh, the impact they're having on on each other. And I believe a gratitude economy is coming. Yeah. I think the attention economy of the last 100 years, where every single thing was done to to grab and hold our attention, I think that's going. I think that's one more thing that the pandemic has proven us, that we are all sick of the chaos builders. Well, and I can that- tell you, us making this show an hour has certainly test the boundaries of people's attention. Well, <laughs> I agree. The, and may, there may be people that are super grateful for one little thing that you or I or Bambo said that changes their day. And then we're going to come back. We need to start supporting the people that make, make us feel grateful. Yeah. I thank you for being here because curiosity is the quickest way to being grateful. People who want more information, they'll go to everwideningcircles.com. Is it com? Is that right? Yeah, everwideningcircles.com. That's a mouthful. So we are at ewc.co. Thank you for being with us again. And it was really, I must say, when we get Linda on, there's something that I love in in um, two things that what she'll do is when when we go down any route which doesn't allow the vision for what the positive would be that she always makes sure that we follow back to that positive and she'll often give things practically you can do uh, to shift that that uh in yourself which i really love yeah and uh and she she joked he said we don't like personal help and it's it's not that we don't like personal help it's that it isn't the focus of the show that's the idea so and we'll have her on again, obviously, if she'll, if she'll have us. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. And we'll see you tomorrow on A Wonderful Chaos. <laughs> it's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.